Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Hey, good to see you all again. Um, A lot of familiar faces still. A few new ones, that's always good. Um, if you have, we, I, I brought our um, cowboy church low-tech uh, this morning. Uh, trail notes, we, um, I, I get the privilege of serving as the director of cross-country ministries. And part of what we do, a big part of what we do, are cowboy church outposts. And we do those in riding clubs. Some of them are at churches. Sometimes they're out by the campfire. So we have to go pretty low-tech, so we actually print things off on trail notes, and you have a copy of that in front of you there. Hopefully, uh, we had enough. If not, look on with the neighbor. And, and um, we're studying. What we do in our Cowboy Church Outpost is we study straight through the New Testament every year. And uh, we use a process called Project 345, That stands for 3 minutes and 45 seconds. That's how long it takes to listen to the average chapter of the Bible. Like You can go on our website, c4cowboychurch.com, and there's five chapters each week. There's 260 chapters in the New Testament. Five times 52 weeks is 260. And so doing five chapters a week takes you through the whole New Testament every year. And that's not all we do to, to teach and disciple folks, but that's what we do in our outpost meetings every week. We make sure people are exposed to the whole New Testament every year. And we are in uh, Thessalonians. Uh, we're finished up First Thessalonians, started Second Thessalonians this week. And so you are going to get my message on Thessalonians. Uh, and, uh, and really it's kind of the overview message of, of Thessalonians And um, these people in Thessalonica were very, very, very committed believers. Like I read 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and it's hard not to have my heart sink a little bit because I see like I'm not there yet. Like these people were seriously committed. Um, And Paul describes them as people having triumphant faith. Isn't that, wouldn't that be something like, and he said, I'm not just describing you as someone having triumphant faith. He said, wherever I go in Macedonia or Achaia, which were the regions and even beyond, people are telling me about your triumphant faith. So they had such triumphant, overcoming, powerful faith in Thessalonica that people were talking about it everywhere. And so, um, you know, when people regularly gather for church, everybody say regularly. So I'm not talking about somebody who wants, you know, the, the CEO, Chris, Christmas, Easter only, uh, folks that drop in, but like people who regularly gather for church, like they're here. There are, there are three groups of those folks, and this is not on your notes, I'm just I'm shooting from the hip right here. But people who regular, among those who regularly gather, there are people who are curious. Um, the curious folks are folks that they've seen Christ-likeness in somebody. 
You know, people come to, come to faith in Jesus through their eyeballs, right? You know, we, we, often, we often quote Romans that says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But Jesus, and that's true, we got to get to the ear, but it travels from the eye, Brother Charles, to the ear. Because Jesus said in Matthew five sixteen, let your light so shine before men that they may, everybody say see. See, see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. So people who are regularly gathering that are curious about the faith, they've seen something in somebody's life, right, Will? They've seen something in somebody's life. And, and it's had enough of an impact on them that they, they decide, I'm going to get up on Sunday and go to church. I, I'm going I'm to see what this is, see what this is all about. That's how they describe what they're doing. So you have the curious and then the second group of people that regularly attend church you have, are, are what I call the convinced. They are convinced, like they, they have decided Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Savior. You know what Savior means? It means He's our source of forgiveness. So He is our source of forgiveness with God and um, he lived as our example. He died in our place. If you quote him a verse like 1 Peter 3.18 that says, Christ suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us safely home. I love that. Say safely home. The Bible says, in order to bring us safely home to God, he was put to death in the flesh and made alive by the Spirit. The convinced hear that. They smile a little bit. They're like, yes, I, I believe Jesus did that for me. Okay. And they're there regularly. But then there's this next level. And this next level is like people who are just fully committed. I listened to the songs that you were singing, Jim. They're not songs of the curious. They're not songs of the convinced. I surrender all to you, all to you. That's not a convinced. That's full commitment, right? I mean, if, they, if people are singing that from the heart and they mean that, I surrender all to you. I'm holding nothing back from you. I'm giving everything to you. And I'm telling you, that's not everybody who attends church. That's just like, I mean, I've been doing this 30 years. That's me on a really good day. You know, that's not me every moment of every day. I mean, at some point during the day, I can tell you as a missionary, as someone who starts churches, I get before God every day and, and I have to be honest to God and say, God, I, I hope I can surrender all to you today. I want to surrender all to you today. I want to be listening to you, Lord. But man, my flesh gets in the way a lot. So Lord, I want to be like these Thessalonians. You know, but I'm not always like those Thessalonians because I'm, I'm living in this Adam suit. Do you know you're living in an Eve suit? And you know, these things are not saved. These things we're living in are not redeemed and born again. Our spirit is redeemed and born again. We're walking around in an Adam suit or an Eve suit and God's got to kill this whole thing to get us into heaven. I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling for you. I, always, I, don't yell, I don't yell at people, I yell for people. But I'm telling you, 
Paul, the apostle Paul described it this way. When I want to do good, evil is present. When I want to do evil, good is present. There's a war. He said it's a war. Anybody else feel that war? Romans chapter 7. There's a war, he said, going on inside me all the time. And when I want to do evil, good is present. When I want to do good, evil is present. So that I do not do that which I wish. I mean, that's conflict. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we are convinced and we receive him into our lives, you you don't step into a divine dance. You step into a war because you're at war with yourself. Because you have a spirit that is saved and a body that ain't. I mean, am I the only one feeling that feels that war? No, the apostle Paul. You got. I, I know some, some heads are shaking like this, and and the more the more committed you get, the I mean, it just increases that conflict and that warfare. That's what Paul, and so Paul is writing not to the curious, not to the convinced. He's writing to these fully committed believers in Thessalonica, and he warns them that the devil, and he mentions Satan's name twice. Satan is trying to bring you down, and he can get hooks in that flesh if you let him. And he mentions three, I'm not even in their notes yet, but he mentions three things in First and Second Thessalonians. He mentions sexual immorality. He mentions um, being self-righteous and condemning of others. And he mentions, um, this is kind of, I'd have to, there's a whole, there's a series of messages that I could do on. He mentions something I call doctrinal diversion. In, in other words, getting up a tributary and out of the main river. There was a group of these fully committed believers in Thessalonica that uh, started focusing on, in in seminary, what we call eschatology, end time, how everything's going to play out in the end times and the return of Jesus. And that's all they ever talked about. In fact, they, they sold their, they quit their jobs, they sold their homes and their possessions, and they they got so far up this tributary that they expected other people in the church to make sure they had food and take care of them. And, they were, and, and Paul's word to them, it's, 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 real, it's super spiritual. Here's, here's Paul's word to them. This is all the apostles, not just Paul, because he said, we tell, give them this command. We do, not just Paul. He said, settle down. You ever, you ever met somebody that's fully committed to the Lord, but hey, settle down a little bit. Because, you know, they're just all over. I mean, they, there's a difference. Okay, when somebody's fully committed to the Lord, here's what Paul says they need to do. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit will guide you. The Holy Spirit will lead you. Be listening to the Holy Spirit. Those who are fully committed to the Lord don't need to do it. Okay, pay attention. We don't need to do anything for the Lord. The Lord spoke the universe into existence, holds it together by the word of his power. He's either the almighty God or he's not. And if he's the almighty God, he doesn't need us to do a thing for him. Here's what he needs us to do. Listen to him. He has a part for you to play. Okay, we better, we better fill in some of these blanks. I know I fly at 90,000 feet. 
I'm the opposite of OCD, but I know that some folks, including my wife, got to get these blanks filled in. So I better, uh, better. Triumphant faith begins with receiving, here's your first blank, receiving the message of Christ through the help of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul said to the, uh, it's there on your trail notes. Um, In fact, let me look on your trail notes. I printed it on yours and not on mine. (laughs) He said in in 1 Thessalonians 1, so you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the sphere of suffering it brought to you. So they received, the first thing triumphant faith has to do is has to respond in faith to Jesus Christ. The Bible says we can't even do that without the help of the Holy Spirit. A person can't place their faith and trust in Christ without the Holy Spirit of God bringing them out of death and into, out of spiritual death into spiritual life. So if somebody's going to come to Christ, it's not because Timothy Moore or James Mays or Jim or Will or anybody else stands up. It's because the Holy Spirit is at work in our midst bringing people out of darkness into light, out of death and into life. And that's why the Bible says some of the glory should go to God. Is that what it says? No. Everybody say all. All All glory to God. Because I can preach until I'm blue in the face. I can try to turn a backflip. I can do whatever. But if the Holy Spirit is not at work, nobody's going to get changed. I mean, nobody's going to be born again and come come to Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's just neat that He lets us listen and be a part of what He's doing. So they got to come in response to what the Holy Spirit's doing in their life. And these Thessalonian people did with the help of the Holy Spirit. And then triumphant faith is an even if faith, not a what if faith. And and there it, he says, you, you received it in spite of the severe suffering that it brought you. They knew, these people in Thessalonica, because of the way the government was uh, set up at that time, these Roman leaders, they knew that when they, they received Jesus as their Savior, it meant severe. They may lose their job, they may lose their homes, they may lose their lives, and many of them did. It didn't say in spite of the threat of severe suffering. It says you put your faith in Christ by the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. So a triumphant faith is it's what I read about this morning. I, I have a cousin who's a missionary to Muslims, and his name is Dan. And Dan sent me a link this morning that now the, the, the fastest growing disciple making movement in the world right now is in Iran. In the world, the most rapidly multiplying disciple making movement in the world right now is in Iran. It is the underground church in Iran which is led mostly by women. It's just interesting. This underground church is multiplying rapidly. Thousands and thousands every day are coming to Christ in Iran. The government is still radically Muslim. And the leaders of this, uh, we call it a DMM, uh, and that's that's the missionary um, lingo for a a disciple-making movement, DMM. 
um, the leaders of this DMM in Iran said that the Ayatollah Khomeini was their greatest evangelist. The reason they said that is because he's the one who, I mean, he pushed Sharia, Muslim Sharia Islam law in Iran, and every and, and he was so. He was such a charismatic leader that everybody went for it, and they did it, and they implemented it to the nth degree, and it destroyed Iran. And so now that's created the season of the soul in Iran for this underground church movement, because everybody knows Islam and Sharia law pushed to the nth degree is completely destructive. And so they know that. that th- these are Iranians that are saying this, and they're saying it's created the fertile ground for us to lead people to Christ, thousands of people to Christ every day. They're still, that's still the government of Iran, so that has to be an underground movement. People are still losing things. People are still being persecuted. People are losing their lives. And one of the lady leaders of this disciple-making movement in Iran moved with her husband. And they're not, there's a difference between being a feminist and being a follower of Jesus. These ladies are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. She and her, she and her husband had an opportunity to move to America. They did. They were here for six months. And I read her words to my wife this morning. She asked her husband if they could move back to Iran. She said, and he said, why? And she said, because, she said, all the believers I've met in America are asleep. And she said, it's making me sleepy. She wanted to get back there. Here's what that woman considered the threat of suffering Less of a threat to her faith than living in America. She said, American believers are sleepy. And I read that and I was like, ugh. I mean, it hit me. I, I'm not yelling at you. I'm, I'm saying, compared to these people, I'm sleepy and comfortable. And here's what they said. They, they, he's, do you... Someone else was interviewing her because we have people in, in, in contact with her. And they said, well, what about the threat of imprisonment? They're imprisoning leaders of this movement. And she said, 50 years in a prison compared to eternity with Jesus is nothing. She said, I'm not scared of going to prison or dying. How is our faith? You know, I mean, that just, it made my legs weak. It's like, Lord, how does my faith, I know how my faith personally, I said, Lord, I'm not there yet. Help me to be there. Help me to get there. The goal of triumphant faith is becoming more like Christ. Romans 8.29 says that God chose us in him before he created the earth. Did you chose us in Jesus before he created the earth to be conformed to the image of his son? What's God's will? Somebody will say, well, I, I, don't, 
I want to know God's will for my life, whether I should take this job or that job, or whether I should marry this person or date that person or not date at all. I want to know God's will for my life. Here's God's will for our lives. Be more like Jesus. He said he chose us to be conformed to the image of his son. So, Lord, where am I not like Jesus? Father, help me to be more like Jesus. Christ-likeness is revealing his heart and reflecting his light in our action, interactions with others. Revealing the heart. Is our life revealing the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ? And are we reflecting his light in our interaction with others? Um, I want to share this little story with you and I'm done. I'm not going to be like another preacher and say, I'm going to share a story and be done, and then share another story. I'm going to share one story with you. It's a long story. No, I'm going to share a little story. It's about Alexander Papaderas. Or Papaderas. I don't know which, whether you put the emphasis on one syllable or the next. It's Papaderas or Papaderas, probably Papaderas because he's Greek. Alexander Papaderas. He was a little boy on the island of Crete when the Nazi paratroopers were flown in and they, they dropped not just paratroopers but all of their supplies. They dropped all kinds of equipment machine guns, artillery, motorcycles. They dropped everything in there for them to take over the island of Crete. And they landed on the airstrip right next to his town. And he was like five years old. And um, the people of his town, I can't remember the name. It starts with an M, but I can't remember the name of the town. But those, those people saw these Nazi paratroopers and all these supplies being dropped out of these big carriers coming down on the airstrip field and they knew that the Nazis were taking over everything at that time and the adults of his town decided they were going to fight they had no weapons no artillery literally the women went in the kitchen and got kitchen knives the the farmers went out and grabbed their you know pitchforks and as soon as those paratroopers hit the ground, they were out there with knives and pitchforks, and the paratroopers just mowing people down. With The people that didn't get mowed down on the airstrip, the adults, they lined up all the adults and summarily executed all the adults of that village. And um, now, on that site, there is an Institute for Peace where that happened started by this little boy he was a little boy at the time Alexander Papaderas and he has spoken all over the world it's amazing what God has done with the, the life of this man and I, he's in his 80s now and he's written over 450 books started an institute for peace he, the institute for peace was paid for by his writing and speaking tours in Germany. Isn't that amazing? But there's a, there's a student that went to the Institute of 
piece, Robert Fulgram, I think is his last name, and, um, and Dr. Papadaris gave a lecture, and at the end of the lecture, he said what speakers normally say, you know, is like, does anybody have any questions? Well, Robert said that um, anytime he, he was listening to a lecture, anytime a speaker said that, he had a standard response, and that's, what is the meaning of life? And he says, every time he asked that, there's some chuckles, you know, throughout the, and he said the same that, you know, Dr. Papadera said, he said, what's, uh, any questions, Robert said, what's the meaning of life? And he said, uh, Dr. Papaderas took out, we have a lot of women in our house, I don't, I, so I got a little mirror off of compact. He said he took a, a little mirror, a little bigger than a quarter, out of his pocket, and uh, he he started catching, it was a sunny day, and he started catching the light, and he would make the light go on people's hands, on their foreheads, and uh, he's just shining the light, reflecting the light with the mirror. He said, um, after the Nazis were defeated and run out of the, off the island of Crete, he was five, six years old. He went out and he found a, a broken side mirror from one of the Nazi motorcycles. And uh, he picked up the piece of mirror and he, um, he found a stone that he could grind. it. That, that was the actual piece of mirror in his pocket. And he ground it down into a little round mirror. And he said as a, as a kid, he turned it into a game. He realized that he could, you know, reflect light. And, uh, and, he, and it became a game, and he would reflect light into, you know, little dark recesses with that mirror. And he was explaining the game of, you know, what he did as a child. And uh, then he started to reflect that light on the hands and foreheads of the people in the class. And he said, I've carried this little mirror with me my whole life. And he said, it became a metaphor for my whole life. And the meaning of life for me. And uh, by the way, he has degree. He has more degrees than a thermometer, uh, Doctor Papadaris. But one of his degrees is in theology, and he's a follower of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> but he said, "I am not the light." He said. This is just a piece of that mirror. He said, and I'm a piece of the mirror. But I can reflect some light into some dark places. And he said, and you can too. And he said, when I shine light into dark places in people's lives, he said, some of them change. Some don't. But uh, after he gave the speech about shining light into people's hearts and how, how this became a metaphor, he said Ro- he hadn't shined the light on Robert's hands and forehead yet. But he said after he finished, I had my hands on the desk and he said, and he caught the light and he said, look at your hands. And he put the light on Robert's hands and then he put the light on Robert's forehead and then he put the mirror back into his pocket. And he said, that's the meaning of life for me.
And then he repeated his first question. Any questions? <laughs> Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.